You're listening to You're United listening. Q Podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Barbecue Gourmet, Kamado Joe, and Smokewood Shack, our awesome sponsors. ProQ provide quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. ProQ Gourmet, supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning rubs, sauces, marinades, and accessories from the US and around the world. You can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. Kamado Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out commandojoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. I'm Dan and I'm here with my co-host Ben. Hello. And on this week's show we have Nicholas Ekstedt. Hey Nicholas, you alright? Hey, how are you guys? Really good, thank you. Thanks for coming on. It's, we've been uh, been wanting to get you on the show for quite a long time. You're a very popular requested guest to get on the show. Oh wow, thank you. Is that is that by with among Brits or is that generally just people yeah, we, from all over the place? We um we get we like the shows broadcast obviously online, but we have a lot of listeners from the US, from the UK, from Australia. But from the UK, definitely your book's been like a very big hit in the UK, and I think yeah, that's inspired yeah. people to say to us. You need to get this guy on your show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I love going to, to England. I, the, I come across really well there, and, and uh, there's a huge interest in me every time I come over. So it, it's, it's always fun to talk and to, and, you know, be in England. It's, it's a great, uh, or the whole of UK, is, it's great to be in. Cool. Well, we love having you. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Keep <definitely>. going. <laughs> Um, so can, you, can you start off by just telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, yeah. I'm uh, Nicholas and I run a restaurant in Stockholm. It's the capital of Sweden in Scandinavia. And uh, I opened up the restaurant in 2012 and I focus on a, an analog kitchen. So basically my my all my cooking techniques are older than electricity is, to put it that way. So... Basically, I research into history how we used to cook in the Scandinavian countries, and then I use those techniques into a contemporary style of new Scandinavian cooking. Amazing. So, so back in like 2012, when you opened Exeter, I mean, the average kitchen worldwide is becoming sort of a a super scientific, uh, full of gadgetry, and and you completely moved away from this and sort of stripped things back. What what made you? want to do that in the, in the first place well um i can like like i mean i i trained at charlie trotters and el Bui and uh you know i i worked at uh, um on a lot of these restaurants that are really high tech and we're like moving gastronomy and food yes. and cooking into the next uh level next phase and uh, i saw that cooking became more and more um gadgets more complicated techniques and more and more expensive and every year they introduced a new um additive that we should use uh and it, there was just 
we the, the cooking at that time like 10 years ago was focusing on wrong things i think and yeah. uh, when when i traveled as a chef my, my the best meal i had when traveling was not at the fine dining restaurant it was at you know at an indian tandoori place or an, a basque barbecue or in um uh or in in italy it was a wood oven pizza and i found that a, a lot of the, what those uh, a lot of those what they had in common was that these pe- these chefs or cooks or restaurants they stuck to a old style of doing their food and yeah. i thought that why can't i do that with my heritage and and in my uh surrounding and so that's how it all kind of that's how the idea started and uh, then i moved from that Amazing, cool, and, and I mean, I suppose it was at a time where sort of the new new Nordic movement was, uh, not say movement, but it was was yeah. sort of growing and, and coming onto the scene and and really making an impact in in the food food world, I'd say, and uh, and you you were part of that, but also you're sort of more like a an old Nordic movement as well because you you you're still using the Nordic produce and, and making uh, the produce stand out, but also you're you're using these traditional Nordic techniques. Which is the difference between uh, between you and many of the other uh, sort of new Nordic restaurants? But also, you're still producing sort of this top class of well-renowned food, which is amazing. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of the the other restaurants were focusing on uh, uh, highlighting the Swedish products or the Scandinavian products uh, on the plate, and I thought that was great and it was it was fun and it was fun dining at those restaurants. But but they were all using sous vide machines and uh, they sometimes put it like additives into the to the sauces, or they used like a lot of the, the like new kind of like uh, molecular gastronomy that came out of El Bui and Fatak. And I thought, why you know, what, if we look back in history and we're we're trying to source the best ingredient, why why would you want to cook it in a plastic bag? It's just like stupid. <laughs> so uh, I thought that would be more fun to use an old style. Of cooking, and at the same time, I bought this house out on the islands in Stockholm. Actually, I was uh, on uh, paternity leave with my firstborn child, and I had an, an, a summer where where we had a house and we didn't have any electricity in the house. So I started to play around with the old stove in the, the house, and I, I bought a big fire pit out to put out on the terrace, and I started to play around with that. And a lot of chef friends came along and said, "Oh, this is delicious! This is great! How did you do this?" and that, and then I started to research about our history and our uh, how we used to cook in the Scandinavian countries before electricity. Amazing! So it was sort of it was sort of also a, a circumstantial uh, yes. sort of uh, inspiration as well, which is which is cool in itself. I mean, to me, you're a huge sort of inspiration to me personally. But but something quite unique about about your style of cooking is the. Uh, sort of use of cast iron so everything is is cooked in cast iron over yes. fire yes so, so yeah. can you can you talk us through uh that i mean obviously people have used cast iron but but what is it that's special about cast iron to you and and uh how does it influence your food well uh when i was in culinary school when i was cooking um in school we learned that cast iron was not good for you that it made the sauce um, taste like too much umami, too much iron, so you shouldn't use it. And actually, 
we kind of were learned, you know, we thought it was heavy and it was old style. And, you know, now you're supposed to use these Tefal pants or, tef you know, what, what do you call yeah. them? The, uh, yeah, the non-stick sort of fear. Yeah, the non-stick pants. And, you know, we were introduced <laughs> to them and we were introduced to, to, to stainless steel and all these modern new gadgets. So, yeah, uh, for a very long time, even into my, you know, uh, early 30s, when I started cooking at other restaurants, I kind of like, I, you know, I didn't use those old Swedish tools because I thought they were like, they were not good and that they, you know, they had done its time. But when I started to use the open fire and I started to reading about these, uh, these great old tools, I found out that they have a purpose and that they are good for you. The iron content makes you is good for your health, and and also they are. There's something magical when happens when you cook cast iron. You have a birch fire, the smoke and the heat, and you know cooking a sauce or cooking cooking a, a some vegetables in that pan. It's just like I can't really explain it, but it, it's just like t it comes along and get, it's tastier. <laughs> it's just more delicious. Definitely, isn't and, it? You say um, we've we've like cast iron because because it's always um kind of seasoned, isn't it? So you're like you're building up yes. and building up, and it must almost be a thing that is almost like it must be shaping the flavors of your dish as well. The fact that you've yeah. that you've built that up over the years of using the product. Yeah, that's it. And uh, also, it's a great way to control the heat because. As I don't use the embers, I use the flames. I needed a pan that could take a lot of heat and I could you know put straight into the fire and uh, I use a lot of high heat um, my cooking is not slow and low like America it's it's very kind of like strong heat either from the wood oven or maybe sometimes I do use the smoker and I, I put down the temperature a little bit but usually it's kind of hot and then I need I need those pans because all the others just burn up so what would you what would you say are typical Nordic ingredients? Uh, well, I think the Nordic ingredients. I think uh, Rene Redzepi from Noma really explained it super well the other week. He said like Scandinavia has three seasons. It has seafood and shellfish during the winter, and spring it's where the where the sprouts and the shoots and the when we forage and we use. The ramson, the nettles, uh, some of the young vegetables like rhubarb and asparagus, and uh, then we have the fall. And fall is mushrooms, game, uh, and uh, berries. Um, so we don't really have a summer like you do in in southern Europe or even England. Even if you guys think you have bad weather, we, yeah. have, we, we don't. We don't have a about. summer. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so we, we have three seasons in Scandinavia. It's winter, uh, spring, and fall. Awesome. Nice. So your menus tend to just adapt as, as you fall through these seasons. Mm. Yeah. So as we go through those seasons, we can try to stick with them and try to do the best of that, those seasons. Cool. So I'm going to go back to sort of the, the old techniques again. Sorry. But uh, mm. when, when you <laughs> take these old techniques and, and yeah. you've sort of, uh, and you've, Try to you've modernized them almost to fit this new yeah. style of cooking uh, that, that people are used to talking for, looking for uh, how people's palates have changed. You're taking these old these these Nordic ingredients. You're taking these old techniques. Uh, how how has that sort of transformed into into this sort of a refined 
and and uh, I would say this sort of mission in standard food, did you have to really sort of, I don't know, how did you uh, develop those these old techniques to to work in, say, the modern kitchen? And was that really hard work for, for you to do or did it come naturally? Was it sort of experimentation? Where was the inspiration from from that? Well, uh, I mean, it, it, that is, was, of course, and still is our biggest challenge. And it's a task that we struggle with every day because, you know, people are used to super uh, food today. I mean, the restaurant world has changed so dramatically the last 10 years that, I mean, you can even, you mean, you can go everywhere and have a decent meal. And I mean, even bad restaurants serve kind of good food today. <laughs> you know, it, it used to be like it used to be bad all over the place. But now it's you needed to go to di- fine dining restaurant to eat well. But now you don't need to do that anymore. And I mean, we and of course, so the next level, if you come into Michelin starred restaurant or like high end restaurant, they, their food is explicit and that so much time goes into doing great dishes. Yes. And so and we have to keep up with that. Because at the end of the day, people, you know, look at our equipment and are fascinated about it. But if the food is not high end and top notch, we are just a museum, you know. And I don't, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to be a museum. I don't want to be a showcase. You know, I don't know. We want we want the restaurant to stand on its own and that the food is just as good. So sometimes I kind of like race against yachts that are, you know, equipped with a motor and I'm just using sails. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that can be difficult sometimes, you know, it, 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 it's tough. But I think at the end of the day, you know, that's why it's called cooking, because you want something cooked, right? You don't want anything plated. You don't want, you know, you don't want, you know, you don't want the piece of art to, to be in your mouth. You like art to look at, but in the mouth, yeah. you want something that's well cooked. And mm-hmm. I think that with our techniques, I think when we, if we just plate it kind of modern and we do serve it in like a, a degustation or like a tasting menu, um, I mean, uh, way, uh, but the food is really well cooked. I, be, I think people, you know, we only have like four or five ingredients on the plate, sometimes three. And, but people, you know, people like it that and, and they enjoy that way of, of cooking. So, Though it's not as elaborated and not as maybe complicated as, as competing restaurants, it's still tasty. Yeah, definitely. And when you when you, you mentioned the mission star, then and, and when you achieved the mission star, how, how was that for you? Was it something that you were working towards? I guess sort of maybe in the back of every chef's mind, it's something that obviously they like to be recognized by. But yeah. was it something that uh, I mean, extra as as a restaurant you were working towards, or did it? Come surprise, sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, no, no, we didn't work for it. I mean, we were kind of like at that time when we were awarded with the Michelin star. I was struggling. I had, you know, I had a restaurant without electricity. It was smoking yeah. in. I constantly problem with extractions. I had guests complaining that their clothes, sm- uh, you know, smelled <laughs> of uh, fire when they got home. We had like maybe five emails a week complaining that why we didn't have any steak on the menu. And, you know, it, it, it was kind of like, it was a difficult time. And yeah. then our Michelin start really kind of like pushed us in a great direction because I think people kind of took us seriously after that. And also we had some great reviews in some local Swedish newspapers. 
And uh, the one that really saved us was A.A. Jill, the British uh, food uh, critic that wrote a great piece about the restaurant. And then after that, you know, when we got the star, we got A.A. Jill writing great about the restaurant. We got some local newspaper writing us up. You know, it was, it, you know, people took us seriously and came to us to eat our food and, you know, weren't uh, interested in the steak. Because the problem I had first opening was that a lot of people thought it was going to be a barbecue restaurant or a yeah, I guess they just didn't understand the concept. They didn't get it. They didn't. They no. were coming to something. They they thought they were coming to something else, but didn't didn't quite didn't quite get it. But then mm. exactly. Yeah. But I guess it hasn't been done before, is it? Mm. It was kind of like a little bit like coming out with a new kind of like music gender, you know, like a new yeah. style of, of of cooking that now people just you know they you know they come to us with open arms like show us what you got we we, we really want new things we want uh, we want to taste something that's like really you know really from the open fire and taste of the cast iron pan and in the beginning people you know oh, do you have a grilled fish do you have grilled uh, meats and i'm like oh no it's not really like that it's just like so it was difficult <laughs> in the beginning so actually so 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 the answer to the question of how it felt having the Michelin started was a relief and it was uh, very good for me. So I'm not I'm not like a lot of other chefs that are kind of like find it complicated and difficult and hard to live up to. Uh, I, I, it's a, it was just great for me. Amazing. That's really good to hear. And, and when and you were talking about sort of new dishes and stuff like that. So and when it comes to sort of, say, uh, Nordic, Nordic produce and you were saying about you, you basically listed your ingredients uh, in, in sort of uh, maybe even like a 20, 30 sort of key ingredients that you went through there. And how, how hard is it or how difficult is it for you to to be creating new dishes with with these, uh, I wouldn't say limited ingredients, but with these mm. Nordic ingredients that you are, uh, this produce that you are uh, promoting and you're using and also the techniques you're using, is, is it difficult to to create new dishes? Yeah. I mean, it is. It's, it's kind of like, uh, of course, we. I find it more and more difficult because uh, we get more and more chefs from all over the world coming to eat at the restaurants. I get a lot of food critics that come in, and so of course I want to push the push the gastronomy and push the cooking forward in the restaurant. But it's just like it's way more difficult for me to change the menu or put a new dish on the menu because I am limited to what i have and i don't yeah. have a back kitchen i don't you know i don't have an induction i don't have a roner i don't have a circulator you know i have you know a lot of those gadgets that people today take for granted and in, in the restaurant i'm just i don't have so it's just like so sometimes i i i, I find it uh, struggling with that and you know even some some of the cooks that come in that are new like i had this norwegian chef working you know for me a year or two, I think he was in the restaurant for two years. And when he's been in for like six months or so, he's like, he's standing there, like I wanted him to, to push a dish forward. I wanted him to work on a dish that I wanted on the menu. And he said like, why can't we just buy an oven and put it in the back here? We could just make it so much easier for us. <laughs> I was like, no one will see it. We can just have it in the back. And I'm like, well, you know, we would lose the point. We'd be like, you know, so... It's, uh, so, and, and uh, yeah, but I could see his fr frustration that, you know, he, you know, you're trained on the piano your whole life and then suddenly, you know, or you're trained on the synthesizer your whole life and suddenly you just have a piano and, you know, you can't do any effects, you know, you can only use that, 
tones. You know? Yeah. And do you ever get tempted to go, oh, actually, let's just expand our produce. So let's do, let's bring a bit of, uh, I don't know, South American produce in here and, and keep yeah. the, the Nordic techniques or something like that to sort of change things up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I yeah, really, I, I really do, especially this time of year when it's minus 15 Celsius outside and everything, <laughs> I can get like root vegetables. So yeah, yeah, I do, I do get a little sometimes. When when I get home, I eat chilies and avocado and I mangoes with my kids. Yeah. <laughs> so when it when it comes to like your kind of the makeup there, I guess in you're burning a lot of wood. Are you using coal and wood, or is it just logs that you're using? Uh, mostly birch logs. Ninety uh, percent is birch logs. I do sometimes use a little bit of homemade coal, and sometimes uh, we use a little bit of apple wood and uh, pine and uh, sorry juniper wood. Cool, and and that's uh, you. You said before you're not really smoking food, but I guess are, no. you, are you using these as like different flavors as well? Yeah, sometimes we do smoke things like to start off a stock for example so we can smoke the fish bones to make a fish stock out of them uh sometimes we cook the um, uh, fish on like we have a birch fire and then when the the birch fire is dying out with the embers is a little warm we put wet juniper wood on that and cook the fish on that steam and smoke that comes out from the wet juniper wood uh, a turbo if we're doing that for now example so we do use some of the different techniques out of the fire and the smoke uh, as well. Awesome. That's it. And you said earlier on, you mentioned the fact that you're like, oh, we, we don't cook over embers, we cook over flame. Like what, mm-hmm. What's mm. what's your key like reason for that? Um, well, I, I think that if you look, uh, so if you look into the historical recipe recipes of scandinavia they were kind of like the fire was there to heat up the house and keep the house alive i mean so it's it's a so the fire and you know the, the your fireplace in the house was essential like if the fire died basically you died because you know you don't survive that long when it's minus 20 celsius outside you know so it's so the cooking was done you know so you constantly kept on feeding that fire and the most houses had just one fire and so they had one fire and they had one pot and they cooked over that fire and they used that heat to to be cooking on so they weren't like doing like the spanish or the south french where that they waited for the fire to die out a little bit and then used the embers to grill on you know so it's, we don't really have grilled food in in our uh, uh <clears throat> in our heritage Okay. What can you give me like a couple of examples of like dishes that we could expect to see on the menu at Extent? Okay, so right now, for example, we have this one cast iron cone that we keep in the fire at all time, and when the cone is really, really hot, we put fat into that, and the dripping fat. Then we put oysters under the dripping fat, and the beef fat cooks the oysters. And we serve that with apple, uh, and we have um, uh, mm, smoked. Uh, so we have uh, beef right now. So it's a dairy cow, an old retired dairy cow. That is a thin slice of that beef that just touches the hot uh, flames from the birch, and then that's served with the lacto fermented uh, salsa fee 
with uh, blackened garlic. Uh, we have a turbo that's cooked on the bone uh, with in wet juniper uh, with uh, horseradish and lobster that's fried in butter over the flames in just cast iron. So those are that's the, those are the type of dishes that we do right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad time to be doing a podcast. It's right at dinner time, and yeah. then you talk about this lush food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I remember watching. Uh, I was watching. I think it might have been on. I don't know. I'm going to say Netflix, maybe. And a Swedish chef was. Uh, was visiting some places in Stockholm and he was going around and he, and he came in to see you and uh, I think he brought someone else in with him and, and you, you were talking you were using the uh, that cone uh, cast iron de- uh, device you're talking about okay, and it was great. just yeah. absolutely mesmerizing it was really cool to watch and yeah and yeah it's really interesting so I mean a couple of guys uh, in the UK have, have recently got hold of have, have got some as well and a friend of ours uses a does he it's like your sort of technique, but sort of uh, brought into the home. So basically on, on like a log on the end of a, a piece of wood or something, he basically gets the fire, then he puts the uh, like a, a bit of beef fat or something on the end of that. So then as it heats up, it can then drip. It will then drip onto uh, yeah. whatever he wants to drip it onto. Yeah, so yeah. it's just a, a similar way of getting getting yes. that, uh, that the same uh, result, but, but yeah. from without. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah no, it's, it's so like even just small things like that, that people have seen have, have hugely influenced uh, me and, yeah. and other people. I mean, I, I see a lot of my techniques kind of like sometimes like I get a dish out and then, you know, the chef comes out and he's like, oh, actually, um, this technique I think you're familiar with. Uh, we saw uh, a YouTube clip when you did this and now we kind of interpreted that and <laughs> they kind of really like apologize for <laughs> themselves. But- <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, it's just, I, I find that, you know, I, I just find, you know, if we do something in the restaurant and, you know, other people want to use that technique, I, I, I think that's great. I mean, I'm not, I mean, we don't have any secrets. I mean, what we do is what we do. And I think, I mean, what's been, how, what made Noma big and what made El Bouye big and what made French Laundry big was that they didn't keep any secrets. They, they published books. They were open what they did and what techniques they did, and then people took yeah. off to them, and and gastronomy just became greater, and, and restaurants became more fun. So I think it's like, I think that's what's great with the community among cooks and chefs is that we all kind of like we don't, you know, we share, we you know, we we don't keep any secrets. We're open with what we do. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, something that uh, resounds to me that you said at the, at the sort of start of the interviews about you going to sort of these places like uh, Tandoori Grill, uh, Tandoori places and and these sort of uh, places like that. And I'm, I'm currently living in Kuala Lumpur at the minute and uh, wow. and just in Southeast Asia, the, the amount of street food that I'm having yeah. around at the moment and, and just even like these, just not, not street food, even also just these small, uh, small family-run establishments, these little restaurants, these tiny little uh nooks in the wall that people are putting out food, been putting out food for 20 years, just really simple stuff cooked over like really simple techniques. Most of them over fire of some sort, a little bit of charcoal of some sort and, and just the amazing flavors. And, and I mean, even going down the street, you could have three people doing the same, the same dish, but in three slightly different ways that their families have changed the recipe over. And it's, and it's just amazing the the quality of food and the flavors that you're getting for sometimes again like less 
than a pound a dish and it's it's, yeah. it's amazing and i i think that you know that's the you know if you can travel like that and you're like you're obviously a open-minded person and you really but i know a lot of people that don't dare or you know don't open their minds when they go traveling and see those things and you know if you know i think it's really important that we as travelers and as foodie happy people that we really open our minds and are you know really try to discover new things when we travel because otherwise we will end up with a world which will look like dubai or las vegas all over the place you know that <laughs> won't have any yeah. dirty pots or no like uh, no streets with street food and we'll just end up with just uh, you know concepts all over the world so i think that it's really good it's really important that we we continue discovering and eating at places like that I'll keep eating. Don't worry. I'll keep eating and discovering everything. <laughs> you, you do your best Good. to eat it all when you're done. <laughs> yeah, Good. I'll make up for the people that don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. Um, so we're, uh, we're approaching the end, but we haven't really talked about your book yet. So I w wanted to just talk a little bit about um, food mm. from the fire because I got a copy of it for Christmas and I'd oh, wanted, wanted it for quite a long time. I got myself yeah. a uh, Kadai fire bowl last year. And that, oh nice and that, that that style of cooking as soon as i'd bought it i was like looking out for like recipes and stuff on that and i yeah. stumbled across your book and it just looked like it matched the kind of style that i was looking for and was really excited to get it and really really loved the book it's like so Thank awesome you. it kind of it takes you like right from the basics of like even where down like choosing where you're building your fire etc um talking mm. about all the basic stuff and then moving on to things that I'd never even thought about doing before with like I'd, I've done I've done like uh, in my and Dan's Christmas book we did a recipe with cabrito goat with a goat leg wrapped in hay Ooh, and the hay was good, like bro. really cool and then I'd never thought of the fact like hay salt and that was just so simple yeah, yeah. but I'd never thought yeah, of it before it's a simple uh, recipe and what I've started to do now that that's really nice is that I cook uh, beef with hay as well so if I have a thin slice of beef, uh, I like I put a lot of hay on top of it, and then I burn off the hay, and then when the ashes are completely done onto the to the beef, I scrape that you know hay off from the beef, and then uh, mix that into a little bit of like French uh, uh, gourmet salt, and then you get like a beefy flavored uh, salt, hay wow. salt. That's really nice. Oh wow! <laughs> Definitely add that, add that to my list of things to try. <laughs> yeah, I saw you do something similar with their uh, sweetbreads, where you you sort of uh, you cook the sweetbreads with the cast iron, and then and then you put the uh, the hay that's on fire on top of the uh, the sweetbreads. You put the lid on, and then it sort of as it burns away, and then yes. you then scrape it off, and, and then enjoy the sweetbreads. So then you can actually yeah. what so the the actual scrapings you can then you then could use to to flavor salt. Exactly. You yeah, you use that and flavor salt, and then you just keep that in the mortar in a little jar, and then it's it's nice, it, it's delicious. Yeah, hey, yeah, sweetbreads are great with hay. They're just like amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not everyone loves sweetbreads though, because it's an old food, so it's not it's difficult sometimes to sell in the restaurant. But okay, that's yeah. something that again, living over here has really opened up my mind to is, is more awful. Awful over here is is. I mean, a, a prime cut, uh, to be honest, it's, mm. I mean, chicken hearts and, and yeah. tongue and, and everything is just, it's, that is like what, what is, I would almost say the, what people are going for, what they prefer. So yeah. 
I mean, yeah. for my wife, on the other hand, who who would rather stay towards the white meat of chicken and stuff like that, mm. she she loves it because that's the cheapest stuff on the menu. But but uh, it's actually like reversed over here, which is strange, where, yeah. where people are, are, are looking for uh, offal and, and the maybe slightly more strange cuts to us uh, in in the West society nowadays. So so yeah, I mean that sounds that's amazing great, to me. I mean, and I'm really happy to hear that because I mean. You know, it, it, I mean, if we talk about the nose to tail movement, I mean, I think it's really important that we eat everything in the future. I mean, we can't, we just can't be that picky as we are in the Western countries right now. I mean, we can't only eat chicken fillet, you know, we need to eat the whole chicken, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's dumb how picky a lot of people are. And um, I just heard on the news the other day that Swedish chickens, I mean, they have, they have found a new a market for the chicken feet because we used to throw them out to just burn them up but now that we export them to china because some clever guy at the swedish you know, chicken manufacturer figured out that well chinese they really like the feet so why don't they yeah. buy them to china and um they do they love yeah. them they gnaw on them and they chew on them it's 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 really it's it's really interesting for me to see these uh all of these different sort of uh people what, what people enjoy what people uh Again, it's, it's what people consider to be home. So for you, your, your uh, Nordic ingredients and your Nordic style of cooking, is that resides with you because that's what you've grown up with or that's mm. what your family grew up with, etc. So mm. uh, it's, it's just interesting to see the different interpretations of that around the world. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, uh, yeah, sorry. And the book even has hot dog recipe in it. <laughs> hot dog is hot dog. I love hot dogs. It's just like there's so boring toppings on hot dogs. You know, you, we really need to work. We need to make the hot dog back. We need to bring it back. Yeah, <laughs> we do. I was thinking about it, Dan the other day when we were thinking about categories because we organise a um a barbecue competition, and I was trying okay, to. Yeah. We, were, we were talking about what categories you could do, and we last year we did the ultimate burger, and I wondered what, <laughs> what we would get if we did ultimate hot dog as a round yeah i posted a hot dog uh, picture on my instagram and it was uh, yeah i had a lot of comments and likes on that one it was really popular so i'm I gonna have really a look now yeah, yeah. a big interested in uh <laughs> they do hot dogs. they look good the ones in the book look good and it's like you say it's all about Thank the you. toppings that you're adding on to it isn't it yeah you got like creamy potato caper salad on the top of it. It's, it's good. I'm looking. Nice. I'm looking at the book now. I'm just like, oh, I'm done. you two can carry on talking. I'm reading this book. <laughs> yeah, I just found the uh, the hot dog picture on on a uh, on Instagram. Looking good. I like it. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> I, I guess a, a common theme that pops up quite a lot in here is juniper. Yeah, juniper is 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 a very. Uh, it's a tree and a, a bush that it's very common in Sweden and the berries, I don't know how the tree does it, but it keeps the berries and, and uh, the um, wood fresh uh, during the winter. So if I want something like freshness into to the food during those dark winter months, it, it, it does a trick really. So. Uh, even today, we picked it today, and the, the berries were green on the uh, on the bush. Very, and it was today was minus fourteen Celsius. Now. Yeah, I don't think it's not. I don't think juniper is an overly common thing to find in the UK. <laughs> no, but you guys drink a lot of gin. Yeah, we do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's using a lot of brines and a lot of cures and 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 stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> 
very traditional sort of pickling uh, spice and stuff. Yeah. If you, it is. It's, it, a great, it's a great spice. Yeah. If you could pick a, like your favorite recipe from the book, what would it be? Um, tur- turbo is always, I think, the best fish. You know, in the summer, you know, when we have... Um, when, when in the middle of the summer, when the fresh, uh, or, you know, maybe in the end of the summer, like in September, when you get like a big turbo and you're outside and, and you know, you cook the birch and the flames and then you just whole cook the whole turbo into that fire and then just put that on the table and we serve it with some brown butter and small new potatoes or fresh potatoes. Like, and it's just great. Yeah. Sounds good. So what, what's next for you, Niklas? What can we expect to see in the future? Uh, well, I am working on a new book, a new fire book uh, that's going to be uh, out in a year or so. And um, yeah, keeping the restaurant up to date. And um, so I think, you know, it, it, I have a really nice uh, time ahead of me now. Um, the restaurant's doing really well. I can work on my new book, and uh, Stockholm is uh, coming into spring. So, perfect. It's a good time good in Niklas's life. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it is. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to speak to us today. Um, could you just before you go, just let people know like what, where they could find you online, and where's your like website and your social media and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I'm mostly I'm on Instagram. Uh, so it's it's my it's my na- my my name in one word, Niklas Ekstad, uh, on Instagram. And uh, otherwise, you can visit my website. It's it's my surname Ekstad E K S T E D T dot N U uh, Niklas Urban so N U on the end. And um, yeah, that's that's how you easily easily find me. Awesome. Well, thanks again, and uh, Thank hopefully, you hopefully one day get over there, visit you over there, and check out the restaurant. You are more than welcome. Actually, I'll be visiting uh, London in June. Uh, if someone wants to come and taste my food, I'll be at the Taste of London. I'll, I'm going to do a pop-up restaurant, a chef's table at the Taste of London. Awesome! Oh, amazing! Yeah. yeah, awesome work, Felicity. If you're if you're listening, Felicity, send us tickets, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, if you're over in June and you've got time, we can, we've got our Q-Fest festival as well, so you may be able to come and visit. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll do that in the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Nice to talk to you guys. And you. Yeah. Thanks so Thank much. you very much. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. You're listening to your United Q Podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Barbecue Gourmet, Kamado Joe, and Smoke with Shack, our awesome sponsors. ProQ provide quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. Barbecue Gourmet, supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning rubs, sauces, marinades, and accessories from the US and around the world. You can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. 
Manu Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out commandojoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoky goodness, you provide the talent. Whether it's smoking wood chunks, dust, chips, or planks, you can find them at smokewoodshack.com. And you can find them on Twitter at smokewoodshack. 